Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast. I am your host, Casey Evans, and as, a jo- as always, I am joined by Danny Corcoran. How are you today, Danny? Good. The sun is out. Glasgow. It's a glorious time. How are you? It is very warm. As you noticed, I nearly minced my wounds almost immediately, and that's because of humidity. But we're, we're fine. We, we took a week break because, as always, Danny's jetting off somewhere. Um, he had a nice weekend away. But we're back, and we thought for this week, instead of just starting with the news like we usually do, we might make a whole um, episode on the news, because there's quite a lot of it. There's quite a lot happened in the last two weeks in the Syria and around Italy. So, obviously, the, Syri- uh, the, the season is now over. Napoli have won. We know who's in the Champions League with Lazio, Inter, and AC Milan. And we know who's been relegated with um, Sampdoria, and also, who was the other team that got relegated? You should probably, I should probably know this. What was it, Danny? Who was the other team that got relegated? Cremonese. Cremonese, that was it. I just completely forgot. I was just like, it's a bad Italian team. And I just couldn't think of the name. But then we would, we had to decide who was the final team. And it was came down to a playoff between Hellas Verona and Spezia. Now, Verona ended up winning 3-1. But it was a hard-fought game. Um... What did you have any chance to watch this? I only managed to watch a bit of it, but because I, I didn't realize it was on to begin with, and then I was like, "Oh, there's a playoff." <laughs> and then I watched a bit of it afterwards. It's a hard game to advertise, like a relegation playoff, because like Spezia and Verona aren't exactly the two best teams. I, I saw some of it. It was quite. It was a, a bit mad. Like Verona scored very low quality chances, but it went in it halftime I think it was 3-1 up at halftime and it looked a bit over then Verona got a red card then Spezia missed a penalty to kind of make it interesting which is frustrating and also the Verona fans were racist towards Inzola and that's not really a surprise if you know about Verona's fan base so yeah I was, I'm kind of disappointed I think I'd prefer Spezia to stay in the league Verona are not the nicest fan base, like I mentioned, and their stadium looks a bit drab on TV, and Spezia's is quite scenic, and yeah, if Verona have been interested in the last few years, but not this year, we'll see what they do again. They do have a Scottish player, which I guess that's nice that he's in Syria, but he doesn't play, so... Yeah, obviously, like, the, the, the race of usage just it's too common, it's too repeated, like, it just happens in every match, and it's one of those things, like, we're seeing it around Europe, obviously, like it's been happening in La Liga as well. And that was a really weird one that they've done with Vinicius Jr. and saying that he's the now the head of the like the ambassador for anti-racism. It just feels like leagues aren't properly taking it seriously. And again, it keeps happening and it's ridiculous. But obviously, Spezia's goes down. Uh, I'd expect an Italian, uh, another Serie A team to pick up Enzola. He is one of the top scorers in the league because... He's a very, very good player, and I expect someone to pick him up. Probably someone who needs a striker. I don't know how high he'd probably go, but AC Milan definitely need a striker, and I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if they were like, oh, with how they're trying to pinch pennies <laughs> with players going for a relegated striker is probably a. Yeah, I think he's been linked with Roma, who obviously need someone because Tammy's done his ACL on the pitch that. Everyone does their ACL on the Olympico. And um, Belotti just... I don't think he scored a league goal last year. So, yeah, and they need someone and they, they need 
they need to do it on the cheap because they're not in the Champions League. So, yeah, it'll be a good pickup for like anyone. He scored like fifty percent of Spezia's goals, which is ridiculous. Like he's he's a Serie A player, and he probably will be one next year. Yeah, I, I'd expect quite a few Spezia's players because obviously, like they were a team that was trying to go on the way up, but obviously got relegated. Whereas Hellas Verona are on the way down, and well, I think next season, barring. A, a turnaround there they could probably be in the same position but I think like even Ampadu again I've always said he's played really well he played excellently since uh, Jakob Kiliar moved to Arsenal um, and I think he'll probably end up moving somewhere whether it's somewhere else in the Serie A because he's it's, it's, it's going back to Chelsea and Chelsea have to then loan him or sell him somewhere um, but I think he, he deserves a move to where he gets to play definitely uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like Spezia were trying some things. Um, they obviously had some good coaches, but like this season has just kind of been a little bit more of a stumbling block. But they, but yeah, you could expect them to come back up next season. But it's it, it's always like in the air in Serie B because they're just the teams are all over the place, and it's just everyone comes back up when they do. Speaking of coming up from the Serie B, uh, Caligari are back in the Serie A thanks to a one nil win against Barry. The uh, Bar- Barry, <laughs> just it sounds so so non-Italian. Um, but the, the, it was a one-one in the first leg, and now the one-nil win has confirmed their place. Uh, did you get to see any of it, or did you um, see any of the scoreline? Oh, this goal! I saw the goal. I saw the goal, and um, I saw uh, Francesco and Marco lie on Twitter, who are both massive calorie fans, going mad. This is like a really. Nah. Barry coming up would have been interesting because I don't the the twi- it went viral on Twitter, but there was about fifty eight thousand at the stadium. Like it's a big city in the south of Italy. It's kind of by itself. It's not really near any anyone else. But they are also owned by De Laurentiis, who owns Napoli, and we obviously had this two seasons ago with uh, Latito owns Lazio and Salernitana, and then had to sell Salernitana but couldn't do it until like the January when they were already in the league so De Laurentiis would have had to make a decision between Barry and, and Napoli and obviously, obviously have picked Napoli but he'd have had to sell them um, but yeah Calgary and Claudio Ranieri who took over when they were 14th in December I think has got them back into Serie A he first was manager there in the, the 80s I think he was he's He's got history with the club, and it's they are a bit of a staple of Serie A club for me because the, when I started watching, they've always been in the league, um, and yeah, it's great to see them back. And they've got a, they've got the iconic Lapadula, who's bounced around Italy for a few years in there as well, and is really getting on. He's thirty three, so yeah, I'm 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 really happy for them, and and it's a good addition. If we're losing Spezia, at least we've got Calgary coming up. Yeah. I- it's nice to see Ranieri back. Obviously, he's a Germany man. He's he, he's been all around Italy. He's been away from Italy. He was at Chelsea for a bit. He obviously won the league with um, with Leicester, which was like a massive, probably the crowning achievement of his career. But yeah, it's nice to see them back in the league because obviously, like you said, like I remember them being one of the main staples of the Serie A when I used to watch it when I was younger. I, I'm pretty sure I did an FM career with them at one point. Uh, got him to win the league and. Um, 
got them into Europe and did all that sort of stuff and got them further. So I, I, ha- I hold them somewhere in my... I think I had Lapadula as well. I think I bought Lapadula at that point. I can't remember if it was that one on my AC Milan one where I brought Lapadula in and he ended up scoring like 30 goals because I just managed to create so many systems that would um, <laughs> really funneled to the striker. But yeah, Lapadula's um, kind of fire them up and it, it'll be nice to see them in the league. Hopefully they do well. Um, it, 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 it depends because obviously it's a mixed bag. They're going... Uh, the league in Serie B this season has kind of been a bit of a weird one. I think we discussed it off camera. Like, Venezia were really near the bottom and they managed to turn it around and get to eighth. So there was really, like, an ability to turn around, like, your season after, like, a problematic start. But it is nice to see Caligari back. They'll be joined by uh, the likes of Frosinone and Genoa, who we'd, we spoke about earlier on in the podcast. Obviously, Genoa going up, Sampdoria going down. Um... But yeah, it's looking for a very interesting season next year. Um, of those teams, Danny, I'm going to make you do an early prediction. Which one do you think has the best chance of staying up? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's really good that Cagliari are coming up because they aren't mainland Italy. They're from Sardinia, which is, is like nice. They're, not everyone's from the north and there's not just a couple of south teams. The best chance to stay up is probably Genoa. They've got more money than the other two. They're backed by the group uh, 777 Partners, which own like Hertha Berlin, Melbourne Victory. I think they're trying to buy Everton. They've got quite a lot of clubs. And uh, a few of the names that Genoa have been linked to recently are quite good. They've got a good few young players. A few of their players were... One was in the Uruguay team that won the Under-20 World Cup. And, yeah, they, they've they just got a bigger budget. They are one of the bigger teams in Italy. Um, obviously, they won't have their rivals, Sampdoria, there to compete with them. But, yeah, I think it'll probably be them. I think the one that will go back down or likely will go back down is actually the team that won Serie B in, in Frosinone just because they've got a smaller budget. They don't tend to stay up and they just lost Grosso, their manager, before even coming up. So I would give... There's, there's a few teams in a bit of a state down the bottom of Serie A, and I, I think I'd give Cagliari and, and Genoa a good chance of probably staying up and cementing themselves in the league again. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's probably my opinion too. I think obviously Frosinone are in that kind of bracket of teams that do very well and then kind of just drop straight back down because of budgetary requirements. Um, in terms of those teams that's done it in the past, Benevento um, actually have gone down to Serie C after finishing rock bottom of the league. And I think Spal have also gone down because they came 19th, which are two teams that we've seen in the Serie A in recent years. So it's kind of, it is um, really interesting how teams can be in the top league, not do well at all, which was expected, but then completely drop straight back down because they've kind of... Um, Tried, tried to stay in and not really managed it at all and not really uh, formulated the team for the Serie B because it's just a completely different beast. Like, it's just so... It's such a weird league. Like, quality just... Quality doesn't matter. It, it just it, it just matters who knows how to win the games and get, get the points in that league. It's such like a... It's like a real niche Serie B. Like, you can be really good at it, but suck as soon as you get up play there's so many teams like you've just mentioned I mean and you can also get caught trapped Brescia also went down this year and like they were Tenali was playing for them in Serie A two years ago now they're two or three years ago now they're but now they're in Serie A which is like 
like a maze. It's even more confusing than Serie B because there's different groups and the playoffs are m go on for like months. It's mental. So yeah. And Barry, uh, who obviously don't have, uh, <laughs> it just reminds me of Gavin and Stacey, which is stupid. Because it's not the same Barry. It's not a Welsh seaside town. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, in it's an Italian. Um, had like this that uh, Wally Chadira, who came a bit iconic at the World Cup for Morocco because he'd come on and look hilarious. Like he was one of the top scorers in the league. So uh, it's a fun league to watch, but it's a bit of a mess. Barry also reminds I've been obviously been watching the TV show Barry, and so it reminds me of that where it's um, No Hands Hank just keeps saying Barry, and it's just like you're trying to say it with an accent, but it just doesn't sound right because it's just Barry. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll move on a little bit out of the league now to talk about the national team. Um, Italy's senior team played, I think it was either last night when we were recording, uh, and they lost 2 1 to Spain. Um, it was a really good performance from Unai Simon. I think Italy played really well and created quite a lot of chances, but Unai Simon was excellent for Spain and kind of stopped them from doing anything. Uh, did you watch any of the match? Yeah, I didn't want to watch any football for a while, but then my girlfriend was watching it, so I just started watching it from the second half. Um, obviously, Italy gave the ball away at the back quite like within two minutes. Um wasn't great but recovered and looked quite strong in the second half and could have taken the lead like that for Tazy semi-automated offside didn't look offside to me obviously they didn't show the exact lines but he must have been offside it looked very close and then Donnarumma pulled off a couple incredible saves Unai Simon then upped him and made that insane save from Fertese who lost Jordi Alba at the back post I think it was a bit of a like these games are obviously they mean something especially to like Croatia but so many of that Juventus uh, Juventus I was thinking about Benucci it's Italy, just because you're, you're watching it with your girlfriend that yeah so, much, so many of that Italy team were like gassed after 56 like Benucci said before like I can't play this whole game like Barella Acerbi DeMarco I'd played in the Champions League final literally less than a week ago like it's not a good time to play a game and I thought Italy did hold their own and, and they could have won they didn't um, but I think the biggest highlight for Italy is that kit they're wearing is very nice N nice kits but lost um, yeah it, it was an interesting team from Italy like um, obviously Zaniolo started um, Fratesi started uh, Toloi started I think it was obviously like like some of those players have played their way into the contention, but I don't think that was kind of like their full strength team. Like you looked on the bench, there's no Bastoni at all. Um, obviously, they didn't start like the likes of like Retagui has been playing a lot more recently. Like Nonto didn't get on the pitch, Raspadori didn't get on the pitch. Uh, Damian DiMarco came on, but obviously were knackered because they'd played a game like a few um, weeks ago. And it was the same for Spain, I think. Like. Um, you look at their team and like they're playing Gavi in the attacking midfield and it's like okay yeah there's just people are knackered um it, it there's just too much football I, I i've said this on twitter and i think i think this is something that i probably should say on this podcast as well there is it, and this is the case with every league there's just too much football at the moment like we've just we've just finished the champions league final we just finished the european finals like obviously all the italian teams were in that lost but they were in it um and we're just in the case now where everyone just wants to go on holiday and have a little bit of a break. 
but you've got these weird nation leagues um like finals which i get they wanted to add another european competition but again just too much football like there's just too much going on yeah i mean like because there's qualifiers this weekend and then next midweek and then the players will go on holiday but it's like like some of the first preseason games are at the end of this month and it's like <laughs> there is no break here like ever for the, the players like they're just treated as a commodity and it's it's killing them like we're gonna we'll, we'll i know there's advancements in like sports science and stuff like that but we're gonna end up seeing like players retiring much earlier if it keeps going like this yeah, because like the thing is, like everyone's always talking, like, oh yeah, well these players are getting good younger, or playing more games than the younger. But yeah, it's all it's all about games on the legs. Like, people always talk about games in a row, but it's like games across your career. It's like if you play like six hundred games by the time you're thirty, you're gonna be knackered. Like your legs just will not be able to hold it, especially if you're playing those games without hardly any rest or recuperation time. Um, but onto like a more, I, I would say this is kind of like the more relevant tournament for what we want to talk about um and also it happened during the end of the league with some of the te- like some teams didn't release some players which was a bit annoying but um the under 20 world cup is something that's been on it's been playing uh our friends over at scouted football steven's been on the podcast you probably heard from him. He, he they've been covering it uh with some giving some great content on their website so go and check that out but Italy lost, <laughs> is the unfortunate thing. They lost in both. Uh, but they played really well. They got to the final. Uh, they went up against Uruguay, who also were really good in that tournament. Um, the player of the tournament was uh, Cesare Cassade, uh, unfortunately at Chelsea. And he played for Reading last season, which again was weird. Um, but yeah, he was the top scorer and the player of the tournament did you get to watch any of this? I, I, I managed to catch a couple of the games. I, I Obviously, it was on at weird times and trying to remember to watch it and do other stuff is also like awkward because you had to find it as well. Yeah, it was on FIFA Plus. Uh, yeah, I watched quite a few games, mainly the Italy ones. Um, they were very, very good and obviously they, they didn't have a few players. There was a few injuries and a few players weren't released. Like Fabio Moretti didn't play, who probably would have. And then so sort of that brought Tommaso Banzini in who's obviously we've talked about before is at Empoli a player that you deeply love that you've yes, that you should like probably a, plug <laughs> like a like a throwback number 10 but he he drops quite deep and he's able to progress and he's he's quite he's very small but low centre of gravity can kind of slalom his way through players but yeah Cesare Cassidy was unbelievable he's the top scorer of the tournament he won player of the tournament he the way he can like arrive in the box he is very reminiscent of like frank lampard who obviously he's at the same club as and was well he wasn't there because he was at reading but yeah he was absolutely fantastic and i think i think the uruguay game was probably just a step too far i think uruguay have obviously very like they had Fabrizio Diaz at the base midfield who's played over like a hundred senior games for Liverpool Montevideo and the tournament was in South America and so like the pitches weren't very good but most of those Uruguay players like they play in South America and you're kind of used to that environment and I think that's an underrated factor 
especially in youth football where you're not used to certain environments. But there was a lot of good about that Italy team, uh, a lot of interesting players, a lot of good players and a lot of players that are going to get senior minutes next season. I think the most interesting thing will be the Cassidy thing, like where will he end up? Because, I mean, he's going to be on loan. Chelsea have Enzo Fernandez. they're about to sign Moises Caicedo, they're like, they, they've got a lot of players, Chelsea, and Cassidy is probably not ready to go to like a team that wants to compete in the Champions League just yet. But he's definitely good enough to to play maybe top half Serie A football. So if he could get an Italian league, I mean, Chelsea spent fifteen million pounds for like a guy that had never touched a senior pitch from Inter. He's very highly rated. Yeah, like the thing is, is like Chelsea obviously this that problem of as we said they've got Enzo Fernandez. They they're gonna lose like Mason Mount and probably they have been talk about selling Conor Gallagher which kind of opens up that eight spot for Cassidy but they also have another player that's kind of been really highly touted in this under 20 bracket which is Andre Santos they've been trying to get him on a work permit and I think they kind of it's weird because they bought Cassidy and they obviously rate him very highly by what you said by the the fact they hadn't played a senior game but they seem to rate Andre Santos even higher so if there is this place that opens up for a player it seems like they want to get Andre Santos on the pitch before Cassidy so it just it kind of screams off. You just loan him out to an Italian team, and you might, you probably will end up being able to sell him for like 35, 40 million and get a really good return on your investment. Or you'll have a player that could really improve your team. Like he could improve that Chelsea team in a couple of years, but it just seems like they are positioning themselves that they want to be good now. And also, if they want to be good in the future, that is Andre Santos, who they're kind of putting their money behind, who is also very good. Like he, he is an also excellent player. Yeah, and like uh, Kazdai is like a bit like uh, Milinkovic Savic as a player. So like, if you're looking for an alternative to him, because it's almost impossible to to see him ever leaving Lazio, even though he's heavily linked every year, you could try and get Kazdai. Um, one. Well, it's thing... like it's like it's like Milan have been linked with Milinkovic Savic, and it's like, well, just go and try. It. And and they're also in negotiations with Chelsea for lost this cheek. So I feel like there's just a natural point of like why don't you just try and get Castell alone <laughs> yeah I mean uh, I guess Milan want players permanently rather than alone because we've just seen what has happened with Brahim Diaz has gone back to Real Madrid and they've lost him and that's a hole to fill which should be Kamada I think which is a good get but it does leave things I think one thing from this tournament is uh, the well, Alvamir is the Simone Pafundi free kick in the last minute to win the semi-final. Who was I think he was either the youngest or second youngest player at the tournament. He's only seventeen. He was born in two thousand and six. Don't say uh, stuff like that, please. <laughs> it's it's offensive to me. And he he's uh, an Udinese player. She's got a few minutes at the end of the season, uh, like five six minute cameos. So he's a really interesting one to look out for. Like. If you've not seen the free kick he scored against South Korea in like the 88th minute, he was only on the pitch for eight minutes. It was incredible. Yeah, uh, it was a really nice free kick, and I, and it was against like it was really important because that South Korea side were really really good as well. Like I feel like if it had gone to extra time, then that South Korea side could have easily um, caused problems and maybe even knocked Italy out. Um, but in the end, 
yeah, it, it, it's nice. It's nice to see all this talent getting a chance to show the, the talent. Obviously, like, the next generation in Italy, like, a lot of these guys aren't even really um, the ones that you notice in team. Like, obviously, we talked about Bandanzi and just Cassidy, but some of these guys are, like, only slight cameoed or not even really broke into their team yet. So over the next couple of years, hopefully we'll see some of these guys make the breaks in the Italian league and kind of see them. Um, on to a more, well, dour note. Uh, obviously, the death of Servio Berlusconi um, it was like happened over the last couple of days. Uh, and the kind of the question is, what does that mean for Monza? If we're going to be serious... It, if we're going to be on serious for a second, just go to his Wikipedia page if you want us to. If, we're not going to make jokes, but you can just go to the Wikipedia page and read it. You can go to the Wikipedia page, or you can go to his Controversies Wikipedia page. Or you can go what we did and go through the Wikipedia page and somehow click on Bunga Bunga and then find out there's a Korean game also by a similar name that just is very problematic. And I'm not going to explain what it is, but if you want to go and find it, go and find it because that was a very interesting Wikipedia search. But... Obviously, Sergio Berlusconi has died. You can say whatever you want about him as a politician or a person, but he was the president of Monza, and that he has been really behind Monza's kind of rise over the past few seasons. And this kind of now means, what does this mean for Monza? I mean, they've been linked with being sold um, uh, to, I think, the Nottingham Forest owner has been linked in the last couple of uh, weeks. Oh, like, last couple of weeks? He just died. Um, the last couple of days... Uh, but yeah, it is, it is kind of interesting because he has been the driving force behind them and they have done really well this season. So I just don't know what you think is the future of Monza now. Do you think they'll be sold? Or do you think they'll have to like kind of reassess where they're going to go in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, like Berlusconi's funding of football clubs, it, like, he, he loves football. Like He funded it to a point where people were like, you need to stop doing that. Like, with Milan, he put so much money into it. And then his daughter took over like the running of the media company that owned Milan and she was like you are spending a ridiculous amount of money on this football club like we can't and we can't afford it and then Allegri won the league with them kind of nobody knows how done really well to do that and then after that was obviously Milan's like banter era where they couldn't they weren't very good they they bounced around managers all because he put far too much money in it and then obviously he sold Milan which if you want to listen to like a the a good, the athletic really recently released re-released some Galazzo episodes um on the podcast which will explain like Berlusconi's life and how he came to power at Milan and and sort of what happened there it's really really interesting, but I won't explain it all. But then obviously I, he sold Milan, which was scandalous in itself because he sold it to a guy that had no money, and then it ended up being defaulted to the Elliott group which obviously owned Lille and still have some say in Milan and then he bought Monza which famous not a famous football club famous obviously for its racetrack but just on the outskirts of of Milan and he put so much money into this thing that they were basically a Serie A team when they were in Serie C they were when they were in Serie B they definitely had Serie A level players when they eventually inevitably got up they put so much money in it. I mean, they signed Piscina from Atalanta, who used to play for Monza. But obviously, like they, they had they put so much money. They got really good loans of like Renocchia from Juventus, um, Ravella from Juventus. They are 
defied expectations and finished. I think did they finish ninth this year? Um, I think they finished. Uh, they finished eleventh in the end. Eleventh, really close. It was very close between all those sides. Like it, I think the lost to our, it was basically like the last game, kind of defined where people would finish. And I think they lost five two, which kind of messed with their goal difference and dropped them quite far down. Yeah, in that but, kind of like four fourteen stretch. But there was there was points on this podcast where we were talking about how they could potentially get a European spot. I mean, like they came up. This was their first year ever in the top league in Italy. Like. The amount of money that went into that project was astronomical, like an unhealthy amount, just because Berlusconi loves football. But now Berlusconi's gone, his family don't see it the same way that he does. They will want to sell Monza, and if you're selling it like has been rumoured to the Nottingham Forest owner, who also owns Olympiacos, he's not going to be able to put as many funds in. Like Berlusconi had, like Berlusconi looked at Monza like a passion project. If, if you get this new guy he's got three football clubs you can't put the same level of funds into to like one football club if we look at I think Forrest signed what 23 new it players was, it was more I think he went up to like nearly 30 players Olympiacos signed like Marcelo for Marcelo they signed James they I think they signed like another 19 last summer he's a bit of a throw throw the shit at the wall and see what sticks kind of guy like it's it's not the healthiest way for a football club to run so like the way Monza operate is going to completely change and I it won't be it won't be good for them I don't think what Berlusconi was doing was ever going to be sustainable it was going to be like a wild ride but it, this is going to completely change Monza and I think you can see them going back down again like next few years yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Obviously, like the Nottingham Forest owner, um, he, he, he has put a lot into it I and mean, kind of into his teams. And I think he probably would do the same there. Like, it's just whether the you kind of just need the guiding forces. Like, I'm, like if the people that are there at Monza now and kind of directing the project stay, then maybe you might have a chance because they, they obviously know who to buy and what to bring in. Like, they brought in Pacino, they brought in... Sensi, they brought in Renault. They brought in quite a good loan players and they kind of used the loan market really well. Um, whether like they'll be able to do that if the scene is much more um, competitive entities against like the likes of Atalanta and such is interesting. Um, I, I don't think they kind of get the same sort of loans next season, especially if like if like Inter are seeing them like, oh, they want to get into a European place then Inter might go, actually, no. And especially since Inter kind of need the rebuild. I think like players like uh, Carboni, uh, they're going to keep, and obviously like Sensi's a really good depth option in like those sort of scenarios. Um, but I, I, I'd like to see Monza still maintain it. It's nice to see like a new team kind of make it, and it would be nice because obviously like regardless of everything wrong with Berlusconi, and there are numerous things wrong as the person, like th- that sort of passion for football is like what you like to see in football. You like to see owners who are very passionate about getting teams playing right and winning things with them um so i'd like the passion of that ownership to stay even if the person wasn't great um, the, the problem is that most of the higher ups at that uh, at monza are berlusconi's people like galliani galliani's there he's the ceo who is like has been berlusconi's lapdog side 
hustle guy for all that the entire time. Uh, I just don't. Will Monza perform as well as they have against the big teams when they're no longer promised a bus full of prostitutes after games? I just don't see it. <laughs> yes, because that is the driving force behind everyone's like that. <laughs> everyone's force that. Um, moving on now from Monza, uh, we are we're moving on to like the uh, the title winners, the league leaders, Napoli. Obviously, there was kind of breaking news, kind of shocking news that. Spalletti was leaving at the end of the season. He's going to take a sabbatical. Obviously, there was a bit of friction between him and uh, Di Laurentiis at the end of the season because Di Laurentiis um, activated the year extension and he was like, wait, what are you doing? Um, but obviously, the big search was who was going to replace Spalletti at Napoli. Like, there was a couple of names floated. Obviously, there was Vincenzo Italiano from uh, Fiorentina had been linked. There was the likes of Luis Enrique, who has been looking for a job and kind of been linked with all the top teams. And kind of shockingly, they've settled on Rudy Garcia. Which, he isn't a bad coach by any stretch. But he's not good enough, I'd say, is probably the way to go about it. I don't think if Napoli want to sustain this sort of domination that they've had, he's the way to go, is probably the way to put it. The question that like I asked when I saw it, I was out on a walk and I was just like, oh, look at Twitter. I can't remember who I saw tweeted it. It might have been, even been you. Like I was just like, hang on. It's like, they have not a point. Like, that wasn't even rumoured. Like, there was rumours of Italiano being looked at. I think my strongest rumour was um, Galtier, who's obviously just left PSG, but I don't think Awesome Hen wanted him. The question that I keep asking myself is, like, can you see Rudy Garcia being a Scudetto-winning coach? And, like, no. He can't. Like, what? I don't understand this appointment. Like, Rudy Garcia, yeah, he's a, he's a decent manager. He's okay. He's not... It's nothing special. I mean, his last job, he was effectively sacked by Al Nasser, like the team Cristiano Ronaldo plays for it. I think he was sacked just before Ronaldo came. I no, he was, was he, he was sacked after Ronaldo after. came. Basically, basically, like they were they were top of the league by an unbeaten since like September, and then Ronaldo came and he had to change his entire system, and then they started losing and they went second, and then they went we'll sack Rudy Garcia. So it was very much he got sacked by Ronaldo. <laughs> Because Ronaldo also didn't like him, um, but yeah, I, I think the better example is his Roma team. Like his Roma team were interesting; they played nice football, but they were never like you never went and looked at them and went, "Oh, these this team is one of the best coach teams in the league." Like even with the talent that it had at its disposal, you never looked at them and went, "Those players, however good they are, the coach is them putting them together into a title winning side." Yeah, and also he's coming into this Napoli team who obviously have just won the league, but they sort of end of the season kind of there was there was problems, like they didn't they lost to Milan in the Champions League, there was a bit of uproar with the fan base and and obviously this this will be a summer of somewhat there will be turnover in that Napoli squad. Like Kim Kim Min Jay's not gonna be there next year, who is probably the standout defender in the league. Like, Awesome Hen, 
I think will will stay because what they ask, what De Laurentiis is going to ask for, people aren't going to pay. But there will be. I still, I, still, I still do keep thinking that he has put a really high price on it. But if PSG do end up getting rid of Mbappe, like that is, they have then have the money and the need for a number nine. Like, that, yeah, that's true. But like, uh, but there will be squad up people and like Rudy Garcia. You could have done something really interesting with this appointment. You could have built on this Scudetto winning team and it just doesn't feel like he's done that. It just feels like he's picked a guy. Like, is, is De Laurentiis just picking Roma managers of the last decade? Is that his shortlist? Because <laughs> Jose Mourinho, come on down. <laughs> De Francesco next. Like, who's... like? It's just a... It's, a, it's underwhelming. It's... You know what? It's probably like a fine appointment. They might make the Champions League. They were not. It is win. a six out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> it's like just that. It's really boring. Like it's a bit. It's not really like the Celtic thing because obviously the Celtic Ange left. They were linked to all these interesting names like Farioli, Nutson, and they've brought back Brendan Rodgers. It just feels a bit like meh. Okay. Yeah, like that that Nutson, I would have thought would have been an interesting. Like, there, there, there like a lot of like, it, there would have there appointments that probably have a lot more risk behind them. But like, they would have been a much more interesting. And I think with the quality of the team, like you could have afforded to be like, actually, we might take a risk and get a guy who looks very interesting and could take this team to the next level if he really hits the ground running. But the team will kind of manage it if he doesn't. Like Rudy Garcia is just like firmly in the middle. He 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 is he is soup flavored soup. He is the single grey suck of appointments. He's just safe. Like <laughs> yeah, I think I would have been underwhelmed if Galtier had got the job too because it just doesn't feel that exciting. And I am actually I'm very happy Italiano's going to be staying at Fiorentina because I want to see how that that goes. And I think they can step up and and if Napoli are appointing um, Rudy Garcia. Why can't Fiorentina think, well, maybe we can challenge the, the Monopoly, like Allegri staying at Juventus, are they going to be as bad again next year? Um, Roma's third season with Mourinho, what can happen? Like, the Italiano staying and Fiorentina having that solid base to build on, I know they're disappointed that they lost the Conference League final, but they were the better team in that final to me, I think. They obviously struggled with chance creation, but they dominated that game. I think I think it's a a good thing that he's staying, but yeah, with on the Napoli thing, it just feels so. It's just like it's just so meh. Like it's not interesting. I'm not going to actively want to tune into Napoli each week now. Like and nobody's 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 going out of the way to watch a Rudy Garcia team. No, yeah, I think that that's a good point that you just made there as well. Like every single team below them is kind of on like a little bit of a precipice. Like Juventus, like yeah, they they did get. If you take away the points deduction, they still did do quite well. But like, they are still struggling, and like they have a lot of financial issues and a lot of players that need to move on, and they need to like do a lot of turnover. And like, is whether Allegri is the man to see that as well? Like AC Milan need a lot of work as well. Inter kind of in a, a transitional period as well. 
like Lazio maybe on their last legs in terms of they played quite well and they, they had a great team but you look at that team and you're like well that team might have a season and it might have two and they might need to start rebuilding as well like this was the time where you could have gone we have a young team we have a good um, director of football for this summer if he leaves past that we don't know but we have him for this summer we can really like dig in and just go great appointment get some more young players and we could probably dominate this league for like the next four or five years if we do it properly and now it's kind of like you've kind of just Rudy Asia might still win a title with Napoli with all that things considered but you kind of like hindered yourself for no reason like you've kind of gone safe appointment okay we've actually might give him a chance to call the way back if these other teams kind of sort out the problems that we've just listed what it does do is it makes the league very interesting next year. I think there could have been a high chance that Napoli repeated and won again next year. But this opens it all up. Like, every team's got massive question marks. Like, literally every single team in there has massive question marks. The team that I... Look, my hot take right now is probably that I would take Lazio to win the league next year. Because I think they've got the most solid base. But at the same time, they're also probably going to lose Luis Alberto, which is one of their biggest creative force like their biggest creative force one of the best players in the league for the last few years so there's a big question mark there Inter a lot needs to happen for Inter a lot needs to happen for AC Milan Juventus there's massive squad issues Roma massive issues because it's Mourinho's third season and the squad's just it's okay it's not it's not special Napoli have by far and away the best starting eleven, but now you bring Rudy Garcia in. Does he elevate that team again? I don't know. My hot take is that I, I think that Atalanta will finish at least top three next season. I think. They're, they're the team where I'm like, they're the most stable. Uh, they've been in a while. Like obviously, they don't have the money and everything, but they're the most stable where if they manage to keep hold of the players, obviously we're going to talk about some of the players being linked away. Um, but if they keep most of that core that they have this season and kind of add to it as they usually do and kind of the older guys chip in a little bit I think that they're in the best position like stability wise just to kind of trot their way into that thing while everyone else is kind of struggling to figure out where they're going yeah uh, yeah Atalanta there's always like squad turnover but they deal well with it like if they do end up selling Hoyland which looks unrealistic right now and probably touching that in a bit but if even if they lost him I could see them replacing him and, and being fine like it's just it just depends like the Gasparini cycle will end eventually and maybe it'll end well but at the same time it might not like there was there was big question marks on them at times last season but they pulled through it and they've got Europa League football it would be hard it's hard to win a league when you're playing Europa Europa League football like it is difficult you're playing there's something about that Thursday Sunday cycle that that just kills teams a little bit I think and like maybe not so much in like the, the lesser leagues but in the top five leagues I I don't I can't remember a team that played Europa League football from the group stages like Barcelona last season don't count and won the league yeah I think in terms of the team I think I think rather than Hoyland I think Scalvini is probably the the one that's less replaceable. He's probably the most, the second 
biggest asset they have and the, probably the one that a lot of Italian teams will be after and a lot of teams will be after because he's a really good defender but I think he's the one that's harder to replace because he does generally look like a, a generational Italian level like Italian defender um, generation at Italian level was what I was about to say <laughs> which is interesting uh, you throw on our little running order Barella the six. So I'm going to let you take the, the floor on this one and then we can talk a little bit about it because I feel like I I am also passionately against what we're about <laughs> about what we're about to talk about. But I feel like you as the deep lover of Nicolo Barrera deserves to take the floor on this one. Yeah, so I can't remember what night it was, but everyone logged into Twitter, refreshed and saw the Telegraph. Was it the Telegraph? It was the Telegraph that... We're reporting exclusive Newcastle closing in on 50 million Barella signing. And I was like, my heart dropped, sank to the floor. <laughs> like, surely not. Like, surely Barella is not going to Newcastle. And then as you, like, dug into it, the headline was so sensationalist. Like, first of all, Inter are not selling Barella. Like, I don't care about their money issues. They're not selling Barella for 50 million. Like, his, that's 20 million below his transfer marked value. Like, ridiculous amount. Then you looked at the piece, and it was... It, it was saying things like, Newcastle are still to convince the player to even move. And I was like, okay, so they're not really closing in. Like, he doesn't even want to move to Tyneside. Like, you can blame him. He lives in Milan. And then the article said that Newcastle wanted him to cover both the 8 and the 6 position for Bruno Guimaraes and James Madison. Now, Guimaraes, Barella, Madison is not a balanced midfield and Nicolo Barella is not a defensive midfielder. He is not a six. He is best as like that advanced eight. He needs to be in like in and around the box in that right hand half space. Like that's where Nicolo Barella comes to life. That is where he is best. Yes, he can do a bit of everything. But if you are asking Barella to cover while Gumerish does the progression stuff and Madison does the creative stuff, you're going to get killed defensively. He's not going to be able to handle that. Like, the whole the whole exclusive was a mess. Like, it's like they'd never watched him in his life. And he played in a Champions League final like four days before this had happened. So what were they doing? Like, like how... yeah, it, like if you if you wanted to, I don't particularly like doing this because every player is kind of different. Like if you wanted to stylistically compare, you had a stylistic comparison to Barilla on that pitch. I'd say in De Bruyne and the fact that he is an advanced eight who can press and kind of do like the the busy work, but he doesn't like he does like being in that right hand half space. He does like firing balls across. He's a creative player. He's not a six. Like someone pointed out, like. If they were to get Barella, the midfield would have to be Guimaraes as the like the deepest player, Joe Linton and Barella just to give some sort of balance. But like the, the report was like Madison. I'm like, who who is the defensive player there? Like doesn't really you're you're pulling your face there, <laughs> like but yeah. Like um, you're like don't don't talk about like Barella at Newcastle. Well, what did they what was the line about John Joe Shelby? I was like an upgrade. <laughs> Honestly. Oh yeah, sorry. A stunning upgrade on John Joe Shelby. I was like, what? I was like, why would you be? Dis- why would? Why would anyone like to be described as it? It's true, but it's also like an understatement. 
It's like saying, like, oh, Margot Robbie is a stunning upgrade on what's it? Anne Widdicombe. Like, <laughs> yes. Yes, she is. What are you saying? Like, yes, it's true. But we're talking in a little bit of difference in leagues. Like, it was all, it was all just a bit disrespectful to Barella the player. Like, it's, it's like they, it honestly was like they'd never ever watched a, a Nicolo Barella game, and like, but Newcastle might sign him because Newcastle have all the money in the world. But like, if you're gonna write a piece on someone, at least understand what kind of player they are. It doesn't take a lot doesn't take long and especially when it's a player as high profile as Nicolo Barella you should be able to, you could google it and find out quicker it's like they logged into his transfer mark and saw that he'd played some games as a defensive midfielder but he doesn't play there and that's not where you want him to play yeah I feel like this has been kind of an issue that's been happening throughout this kind of this, this season because obviously the the Italian league has kind of seen a resurgence this season obviously they all three European finals had an Italian team in it, so they've been very prevalent. Uh, there's been a lot of transfer links. There's been a lot of attention because of Mourinho, because of Napoli, and them playing really well. And it just—I'm I, not. This is not a blanket statement. There are some journalists out there that are doing great work. We've mentioned them on this podcast before. They're—they're they're really into the subject. They really know what they're talking about. James Horncastle, James Richardson so on and the like and there's obviously loads of other journalists in smaller publications but it does feel like a, a higher level this is a level of journalism and punditry where you just feel like they they feel like they've just it's come across their desk that they need to talk about it and instead of actually diving into it they've gone well this is kind of what i think and i don't actually know but whatever. I mean, it was the. It, I think it. I, I obviously, I don't want to like throw a name under the bus. But Miguel Delaney. Like, <laughs> I don't want to throw a name under the bus. It says his name immediately. But the Miguel Delaney piece before the Champions League final was a massive piece on Man City. And then at the inter party, just went. Don't really know about him. Don't really look like they have a style of play at all. I'm like, that's that's not like you could ask anyone. You know, you have this like massive network of like journalists that you know. Just go and ask someone. Go and find any Italian journalist. Just put a message on Twitter and go, oh, I just want to speak to a, someone who watches a lot of Inter Milan. It's like, could you explain to me how they play? It just takes like 10 minutes. It just seems like it's a lazy. Like, this is the thing. Like, if you're going to talk about the subject or you're going to do it, like, you don't need to be an expert. There are people there that can help you. And it just feels like the Serie A hasn't been taken seriously this season, despite the fact that it has been so prevalent. I think it's a thing like throughout the European leagues, like like people that just focus on the Premier League or like certainly they just like decide something about a player and that's it. Like even though they don't know, like I've seen it a lot recently because Liverpool are heavily linked to the younger Turam um, Kefron. Like people are just deciding like he's this defensive midfielder. He's not a defensive midfielder. Like just watch him for like five minutes and you'll see that like people just decide and that's it and they won't change their mind and like it's a problem but it's less of a problem if it's just your general watcher like fine okay you're not watching league and you don't have to but like when you're like a big outlet and you're reporting on like a big transfer and you're given this exclusive there needs to be some sort of like truth or substance behind what you're saying and there just wasn't with that Barella piece. 
It did just feel like it, the like the piece of news of Brella across his desk. And he went, I need to... I get, like, I get it. As someone who's worked for a newspaper before, like, I get that time constraints are a thing. I get that probably what happened was this piece of news crossed his desk and he was like, okay, I need to get this out here immediately because otherwise someone else could do it or it won't be quick. Because the thing is, it's like that. But then there is also, like, the degree that, that, that news should be quick and when it happens, yes... But it needs to be informative to a point where it being quick isn't doesn't undermine that. Like the fact is, is like I don't think anyone else reported the Brella news in the end. So like, you could have spent ten, twenty more minutes just going, I'm going to look at this player and actually think about what I'm about to write because I've now just given an exclusive and say Brella's this, 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 and this, and it's like Newcastle looking into Sanimo Six. No. That's not why they're looking at him. Like, I don't... Like, people were saying, like, oh, Newcastle must be stupid. I was like, I don't think anyone at Newcastle who is involved with scouting has gone, yes, Nicolo Barella can play a defensive midfielder. And if they are, they're stupider than I realise and probably shouldn't be scouting at a Premier League level. But I doubt that is the case. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the only other thing that came out... The, te- the Telegraph are the only outlet. That report is the only outlet that is really documented i think fabrizio romano came out and said or might he might have just been saying what another italian source said that yes newcastle are interested but they've not even approached like they've not even made an approach and barella doesn't really want to leave italy and that's that like it just it, it seemed like whoever the journalist was got like a phone call or a text from like an agent or something saying oh newcastle are moving quickly for barella he's rushed to get it out and and yeah, it was just a mess. And like, it takes, it doesn't take long to find out about a player really. Like, okay, like to really know them, you have to watch a lot of tape and like, I'm not saying it's easy to know a player, but like to make a misstep like that when you're reporting on it, he, he, he didn't even have to mention half the stuff he did to report on what was happening. Like he, he didn't. It's It was just a mess. And I think it was a bit disrespectful to Borella, the player. Not that he's reading the Telegraph, but still. He's actually an avid reader. He's like Michael Owen. He goes to an airport to go and buy the newspaper, like, constantly. He's just like, I want the Telegraph, please. Um, like, I like how I'm saying it. I, I, I'm, I'm so... Uh, yeah, I'm not that old. I'm 25. But I'm still ingrained in the paper format instead of him going on Twitter and reading a rumour. Um, and speaking of transfer rumours, we decided to end this off probably just fire through some of them talk about them talk about whether we like the moves whether we think they'll be good for the players whether we think they'll be good for the teams um the first one is that um inter milan have negotiated personal terms with davide fortesi um i think it was around 35 million has been touted as the fee but obviously i don't think that's been confirmed yet um what do you think of this i think it's good for the player i think it's good for the team i think they've got one of the, the, the kind of best Italian players um, it's just it's just I don't know if Inter I don't know why that's the place that they're going for straight away I mean obviously I think it's because of Brozovic and the Nisa might make a big change but I wouldn't say that that was the first place that Inter needed to address yeah it's a, uh, well they've got some Champions League money obviously they do have money constraints but I guess Fortesi's out there he's not the most expensive on the market and he is a very good young Italian player like 
Italy last night played with a midfield with Barella and Fertese. They started with Fertese on the left, Jorginho through the middle, uh, and Barella on the right. So, like, that's essentially Inter's midfield next season, but replaced that Jorginho with likely Chalanoglu, I would say, probably starts in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I really like it for them. Uh, Fertese's been linked heavily with Roma and Juventus as well, who I think are still, like, in with a shout, but it seems to be progressing quite quickly with Inter. I think it's a good fit, and it freshens it freshens up an aging squad as well with a, a really young, talented Italian. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I think he is really a talented player. I like, like I said, I like it. I just it was just one of those things where I was like looking at it and I was like, I, I it's a good it's a good signing, but it's just like. I think they have midfielders. I mean, obviously, actually, Gagliardini's left and Mkhitaryan probably isn't going to be starting in Brazil, which is probably going to leave. So it does actually make sense when I think about it. Um, speaking on little transfers, I saw one the other day where it's DeMarco was being linked away, like uh, Newcastle wanted DeMarco, which was an interesting one. I think that's probably nothing. I don't. I, I think DeMarco likes it at Inter. I think he's obviously very good. I mean, obviously, the money of the Premier League is... Uh, great, but it's kind of one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to talk about the next one. Obviously, we were talking about uh, Kim Min Jae uh, before and him leaving Napoli. And Bayern, obviously, United have been heavily linked throughout the window, but there's never really been any sort of like definitive, like, it's like always oh, on the list, but he's not a definitive thing. Like, centre back is not on their high in their priorities. But it now seems to be that. Bayern Munich are going to sign Kim Min Jae, which kind of makes sense, I think. Like, it's a good signing for them. Um, they, I think they're going to lose uh, Lucas Hernandez to PSG, and they kind of needed someone to partner Delit in that back line. Uh, and I think that's a really good signing for them. Yeah, that, that works a lot, I think. It's a natural step up for, for Kim Min Jae as well. Like, he's won the Italian league, now he gets to go and likely compete for Champions Leagues and and things like that. Obviously, um, Bayern are losing Lucas Hernandez. I think they'll probably lose Pavar. They need centre-backs. And, yeah, I think Delict and Kim and Jay's a nice... It's a nice two if Tuchel goes that way. Like, that's... I think they complement each other quite well. They're, yeah, I, I like it. I think it works. And I think, obviously, he had a release clause. I think Napoli kind of expected to maybe get a year or two out of him so yeah be interesting to see who Napoli bring in to replace him but but it's a it's a good move for the for the for Byron and for for Kim Min Jae yeah I, I just don't I just don't really think thought that Kim Min Jae would make the sort of impact that he did like I think we thought he would be better than where he, like, I think he came from Fenerbahce didn't he and he would be better than that but he's obviously hit the ground running and been excellent so I feel like they just kind of realised very quickly that release clause was not going to be sufficient for his quality and haven't really been able to um, get rid of it. Uh, moving on to another one, uh, Razor's Hoyland. Obviously, he's been played really well for Atlanta this season. Um, in his, I think it's his first season there. It is his first season there. And uh, he doesn't play for Inter Milan. He plays for Atalanta, for anyone who likes to listen to that. Um, he's been linked to United. Uh, United are in the market for a young striker. I think I think it would have been a good move for him because I feel like United have been talking about getting an older striker and a younger striker. And I'm only, I might only be saying this as a United fan that say it's a good move for him, but I feel like 
he probably would have ended up being like one of the leading strikers. I feel like he, our striking department has improved in terms of how we're dealing with strikers and teaching strikers how to play. And I feel like he would have had a lot of room to grow and kind of become a good player. But obviously, Atalanta originally were asking from 45-50. Reports came out the other day that they now had a talk and they want to look for more of 86 million which would put 100 million euros because they've kind of looked at the striker market probably and saw everyone going for a lot of money. And also, I don't think they want to part ways with them just yet. I mean, they've got Duvan Zapata and Luis Moriel who are aging out. They probably want to replenish that striking lineup. They probably want to make it a bit younger going forward. So I don't think they want to get rid of him. No, and I think the best things for Hoyland would be to stay at Atlanta for another year. Like, he's... He would very good for a short space of time at Sturm Graz in Austria, and then he's he's played well in in Serie A this year. I think he scored nine goals, eight goals. But he he is still so so raw as a player. Like he there's a lot to refine there, and I don't know if I think I genuinely think he probably will end up signing for United at some point. I just don't know if it'll be this summer. It just feels like that will naturally happen, but. He, uh, I think for for him, the fact that Atalanta have Europa League football as well, that'll be good. I think they can build their attack around him, and they'll have look him and Lookman combined quite well. And to have that again next year, it will be fun. And I think yeah, Serie has a very good league for strikers, and I think that that he would be better off staying. And obviously, Atalanta are one of the smartest clubs out there. Like they're sticking that eighty six million euro transfer fee on him because they know exactly that if someone pays that they're massively overpaying and it just wards off any interest and they can keep this guy in and they can probably genuinely ask for that same amount next summer if he has another good season yeah I think that that's the thing like they're doing the whole we're, we're, you're paying for the potential and if he reaches that potential then they'll probably ask for the same because you're going to you're paying for what he, he has become um, talk about an old Atalanta striker, uh, Sam Lammers, uh, who was on loan at Sampdoria last season, has moved to Rangers. Uh, Rangers are also interested in Cyril Dessas, who got relegated as well with Cremonense. Uh, I, I, Cyril Dessas has shown that he's quite good at uh, other levels, but Sam Lammers was shocking. I just don't get that signing from Rangers. I know he's cheap. I know he's probably had this potential and had like some sort of in the past that he would be this great player but he just doesn't seem that great it's a lot of it's 3 million as well which is like okay for like a Premier League club it's nothing but for Rangers it's a transfer fee and like Rangers have obviously lost uh, they lost Morelos which I don't know if that's that big a loss to be honest with you but they lost him and they yeah they could have an all Serie A relegation attack next year Um. I don't think Sam Lammers is great either. Atalanta brought him to the league actually from the Eredivisie as like a project, but he's bounced around. He didn't really hit off at Atalanta. He went to Frankfurt, wasn't great in a team that like Frankfurt produced. Like Frankfurt strikers always score, but Sam Lammers didn't, and I think that's kind of telling. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I, I just he's just not a good player. Like <laughs> that Sampdoria team was. Not, he looked bad in a bad Sampdoria team, but like. He's a standout bad. Um, Zaniolo has been... Has he been uh, linked to Juventus? Uh, I Again, like... It was a weird one that he left to Galatasaray um, from Roma. Obviously, they had a bit of a falling out between him and Mourinho. 
but obviously him coming back to Italy would make sense. But I just don't get it for Juventus. Yeah, I think the only reason he went because obviously he the Bournemouth thing was like happening and then didn't. But then him and Mourinho like horrifically fell out, and the Turkish league was the only one that still had the transfer market open. I think. So yeah, he obviously went there. I think it would make sense for him to come back. I think he's been okay in in Turkey as well. Like he's performed a decent level in Galatasaray, won the league. I'm sure. Um. Juventus need to replace Di Maria's minutes, Di Maria's space in the team. And I mean, there's rumours about Chiesa leaving, there's rumours about Vlavic being sold. But, like, Chiesa, Vlavic, Zaniolo could be a, a fairly decent attack if it gels well. Like, it could be. Allegri's in charge, so it won't be, but it could be. Yeah, Zan- Zaniolo... Obviously, those injuries have really hampered his career. Like He looked really good when he broke onto the scene, but he hasn't really ever hit the height since then. Um, I, I, can, I can kind of see it, but at the same time, it just seems like it's just like Juventus don't have a lot of money and don't know where to go with it, so they're kind of like going, oh, okay, Zaniolo might make um, a lot of sense on that right-hand side. Uh, speaking of a better right-winger, uh, Samuel Chukwueze has been linked to AC Milan. They're desperately in need of a right-winger, because their options are Alexis Salamakas and Junior Messias. So yeah, I, I think that's a really I think he's a really good player. I think he he would he would balance that. They'd still need a striker, but he would balance the kind of wings out very well because one of the problems that Milan had was that you could kind of nullify the attack very late especially when he got later on to the season and Giroud was kind of uh, slowing down. You could nullify their attack by just focusing on squeezing out Liao. And that kind of stretches the pitch a bit more by allowing him a little more space by having someone else threatening on the right-hand side. Yeah, that's a really, really nice move. Chukwese is really good. Obviously, he's had his own big injury, but he's come back quite strong from that. And I think Liao on one side, Chukwese on the other is very nice. I think it'll probably be Daichi Kamada in between them because Diaz is gone, which is, again, that's nice. That's a nice like behind-the-striker three. It's just obviously dependent on who that striker will be. You can Ebra's gone, but didn't play a lot last year. Arigi's not been great for Milan, and Giroud's very old. So we'll see how they move in that market. But that as a three with Tenali and Benacer behind them is that's that's very very nice. Yeah, like the, I think the striker is the big move for AC Milan this season. Like uh, like the summer, like they've been linked or touted with like a Penda. And uh, uh, and like others, and it, it it's just a weird one. I think they just need someone who's desperately um, a good goal scorer who can link up the attack, and again, like just take some some of the weight off Leal to score. I think they've been heavily linked to the that Georgian striker, the Mets one that scouted just did a profile on Mads Madzueki, yeah. who scored a lot of goals for in league league the. But um, yeah, that, I mean that's the sort of move that that's worked for Milan in the past. So if they can do that again, I think he might be a nice fit. Yeah, and, the, and they're trying to get rid of Di Catalare because he's not really worked. I think there is a system where he works, and I think he's a lot better player than he's shown this season. But yeah, that move's just not worked out, and I think they'll probably try and move him on for whatever they can get for him. Uh, and finally, on the striker topic, there is. One of Danny's favourite players, uh, Samaka. You can talk. You can talk through this one, Danny. 
Yeah, so obviously Tammy ACL is out till December. He is now, I think he's like, like if you look at like the betting markets for Skamaka to Roma, like it's like one to four. Like it looks like he's definitely going to end up there. I think probably be on loan. But yeah, that's really nice, especially if they keep Dybala. I can see them linking up really nicely. Skamaka dropping deep. Him back in Serie A is lovely. It's obviously not worked out at West Ham so far because apparently, according to Mikel Antonio, he's not got that dog in him, but Skamaka almost definitely does. And Skamaka is... He was from Roma's youth setup. He is Roman. His family's from there. That's such a nice fit. I think, yeah. Yeah, get me that Skamaka Roma. No Adidas top now. Because <laughs> that is... Yeah, that's a lovely fit. I think the only better fit in the league would be if Milan went for him. Yeah, I think if you need a striker, there is definitely like a situation like uh, it's it's strange that Roma seems to be the only ones that are kind of like in the mood for him right now. Maybe the maybe maybe some teams are like Milan's probably more risk averse at this moment in time because obviously they don't want to like get Samaka like he has played he played really well for Sassuolo, but that bad season in uh, at West Ham they're probably like I nearly said into West Ham then. <laughs> um, at West Ham, they're probably like, well, maybe we need to just think about it because we're going to be playing Champions League football and all that sort of stuff. So maybe we need to get someone who's a little bit more on the up rather than stumbling. But yeah, I, I think he fits well at Roma. I think if they keep Dybala or replace Dybala well, I think he links very well with I think also like a, a, Marine, a player that's going to buy into the Mourinho chaos and violence is going to be yeah. Jan Lucas Kamaka, so that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Yeah, uh, I think that kind of rounds everything up. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish? Well, I've just seen that apparently Murata's agreed to go to Roma too, so we'll see which one ends up there. Murata's apparently agreed to go to Roma. That's an interesting one. Uh, he probably will be fine. I think if he's if Murata's playing the Bellotti role then maybe, like he's the sort of backup striker. Because, I, 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 as I've said before, Morata thrives when he's not the one that's under pressure to um, be the guy who scores all the goals and win the game. So Yeah, um, that's that'd be okay, I think. That kind of works in my head. Yeah. Him, and, him and Dybala have always combined well at Juventus as well, so it would make sense. Yeah, that's probably what they're thinking about. Um, so maybe that means Samaka is there somewhere else, or he might end up both of them there you don't know we'll see uh but i think uh, yeah that kind of rounds it all up uh this has been a bit of a longer one we kind of talked through everything uh had a good chat we'll probably be back we're going to be going through the summer with a uh, club specific and we're going to try and get some guests lined up and we're going to try and uh look forward to next season we'll probably do a transfer roundup at some point maybe halfway through once there's been a few confirmed transfers but yeah i think that's everything uh thanks again for tuning in i have been casey that has been danny and we'll see you next time. Ciao.